from them that they're standing strong, firm. Uh, they are about nine hours ahead. They were having services this morning. The Christians, they're, they're there in the you know, subways praising God. It really is amazing in their resolve. And I was seeing one where a young pastor, Calvary Chapel pastor in one of the towns, was actually doing a wedding this week. And then the sirens went off, and they had to go down in, into the basement, and then they would come back and finish the wedding. So we want to be praying for them. We want to be uh, lifting up the people of Ukraine. Uh, this is a situation that is, um, of course, uh, as wars come to Europe, that could go really bad really quickly. Um, <clears throat> we, we know that um, Putin, the president of Russia, has threatened to use nuclear weapons if anybody gets in his way indirectly, but we know what the message is. Matter of fact, reports are coming out this morning that Putin has raised the status, the alert um, status on being uh, on his nuclear forces this morning. He's once again has threatened that anyone interferes with their invasion of Ukraine, that they will pay a heavy price such as never been experienced in history. We know that uh, he's also starting to make threats towards some of the other NATO nations saying that NATO needs to leave some of those nations. We don't know what he's going to do. Um, but it's interesting. People have been asking, is this invasion of Ukraine in the Bible? <clears throat> it's not in the Bible, but we do know that Russia is mentioned in the Bible. Gog and Magog, is this a prelude to Ezekiel 38? It could be. We don't know for sure. Um, we know that it's going to have effects on Europe. We're going to be talking about this new revived Roman Empire that's going to come on the scene in the latter days that is going to have a leader that is called the Antichrist. And Europe is, is looking for a leader. So all the pieces of the puzzle is interesting. When you read Ezekiel 38, and some of you, this may be completely new to you. But we've gone over that study. It's online if you want to listen to it. We're a confederation of nations. It speaks of Gog, which is a title, <clears throat> and Magog, which is Russia, Persia, which is Iran, um, some of the other nations that are mentioned, Turkey, some of the Islamic nations, of a mass invasion into Israel. And we may be seeing stage-setting events that will lead to perhaps will be the next major war in the Middle East. Um, what is interesting, see, you guys come to 11, so I get to talk a little bit longer. You guys don't care till I go till <laughs> 1 o'clock, do you? But, um, but it, it was interesting because we, as we go through Daniel, what we're going to see is Israel's going to be isolated more and more. In the study of, of Zechariah that I did recently, that Jerusalem becomes a cup of trembling to all the nations. So we're going to see anti-Semitism is going to be on the rise. We're going to see Israel is going to be isolated more. We are going to see that in the latter days, Ezekiel 38 come into pass where this invasion, Gog, which is a title, Magog, Russia, Iran, Turkey, some of the other Islamic nations, and a massive invasion of Israel, and God's going to deal with them. So we perhaps, could we see that this is the prelude to that? We don't know for sure. Here's what is interesting. When you read Ezekiel 38, it speaks about how those nations that come against Israel, that they devise an evil plan. 
Isn't that what's being said today? Why are you coming in? Why are you doing this? To take the spoils. There will also be a confederation of nations that perhaps where the United States is mentioned, and that confederation of nations will be protesting. They won't get involved, but they'll be saying, why are you doing this? Is that what we're seeing today? We know that Russia is going to be emboldened as well as Iran. We are seeing that today. Matter of fact, that Russia and Israel, their relations were cordial, you know, um, but this last week it has gone south because Israel said that we support the Ukrainian people and their independence, and Putin did not like that. He did not like that at all. So now he has said, because you got to remember that Iran is entrenched, Hezbollah, those who are wanting to destroy Israel are in Syria right now. We know that Ezekiel 38 speaks about how they will come from the north and the Lord will put a hook in their jaw and bring them in. Is this going to be the hook that's going to be bringing them into Israel in a massive invasion? We know that um, that, that confederation of nations protesting. Also, I believe what we see in the cleanup of Ezekiel 30, 38 and 39, the cleanup is is told to us there in chapter 39, which is interesting because it's the only chapter in the whole Bible that we have the cleanup of a battle that is given to us, and I believe what we see is weapons of mass destructions that are used, nuclear weapons. So you have for, you know, the threat of nuclear weapons to be used by Putin. Is he Gog? Time's going to tell. We know that um, he's going to have a hatred for Israel, but back to Putin said, because Israel has, if you read the news and, you know, you read the news of, uh, out of Israel, they've been doing bombing runs, you know, targeting the weapons from Iran and Hezbollah coming into Israel, Damascus. They do that continually. Russia said no more. Because you sided with the West, and so the tensions are rising. I don't know if you also know that Russia has 63,000 military personnel in Syria right there close to the border of Israel. So things could change very, very quickly in Europe and in the Middle East. And we know that there's end times implications of what is going on. So we want to be wise and discerning in the days in which we are in. And um, as I look at it, I think very fascinating the Bible is so true. You can read the newspaper and you can read your Bible. You're going to be bombarded with a lot of analysis, a lot of news, endless news. We want to be informed, but always filter everything through the Word of God. And to know that it's more than just a geopolitical conflict that's going on here. There's a spiritual conflict that is driving all of this. And part of it is Satan will want to destroy the Jewish nation and the Jewish people because the promise has been given that there's going to be a restoration, a national restoration, as the Lord comes back and they're going to recognize that Jesus is their their Messiah. The Antichrist that comes out of Europe will heavily persecute the Jews very heavily. And we'll talk a little bit about that as we go through the book of Daniel. Actually, we'll talk a lot about it. And, And so these things we want to be wise there's going to be a lot of misinformation that's going to be given to you, and there's going to be those who are going to be on, you know, give these prophecy updates that there's going to be some weirdness in it, but we want to keep everything in context of what the Word of God says, okay? So we're told to be wise, be looking. Um, it, it's, it's just, I hear the verbiage 
that, that is being used today that we read in Ezekiel chapter 38. And it's just, we'll see where all this is going to go, but it could turn bad quickly. I don't know. We want to pray for the Ukrainian people, the courage. Zelensky, the president, I don't know if you guys know this, but he's Jewish. Do you know that? The American press isn't telling you that. And Putin is, is going after him, and there's a lot of Christians in Ukraine, and um, he, he's showing a lot of bravery, leadership. The United States said, we'll, we'll take you out. The president of Ukraine will take you out. We'll get you to safety. He says, listen, I, I need help. I don't need a ride. And he's standing firm. He, it kind of reminds me a little bit. We'll talk about Judas Maccabee, you know, that led the rebellion against Antiochus Epiphanes. You're saying, who's Antiochus Epiphanes? Keep coming. We'll talk about him that is spoken of that's going to be a shadow of the Antichrist. Um, that happened historically about 200 years before Jesus. All right, so I don't want to get ahead of myself, but we need to be watching. We need to be wise, and the thing is, people are going to be wondering what's going on. We're going to see as things unfold um, where this is all going to go, but we live in a different world. We live in a very dangerous world, and this is part of the birth pangs of the, the distress of nations with perplexity. In other words, nations are going to be facing problems they don't know how to solve. And we are certainly seeing that. And so we're going to be watching. We'll keep you informed. You want to keep coming here because we're going to be in the book of Daniel that speaks about visions concerning the latter days. And Father, we come to you this morning and we do want to be attentive. Right now we want to pray for the Ukrainian people. Lord, as they are fighting for their independence, Lord, we pray for the Christians that are there. I think about how the Christians around the world, just the upheaval, the, our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan, what we have seen happen in the last six months or so with the Taliban taking over and Christians being killed and persecuted. I think about our brothers and sisters in Iran. The fastest growing church is in Iran. And Lord, how they're being persecuted. And in Ukraine. And I thank you for the witness of the pastors and the Christians that are worshiping you. So Lord, we pray that you would work. We're going to read today that you're the one that sets up kings and you take away their power as well. You're in control. And whatever your will is, but Lord, we also know that there's a plan and all this is culminating to where Jesus Christ will one day come back and he will establish his kingdom. But for us, the church, there is a promise, promise of the blessed hope that you will take us out of and away from the hour of tribulation that shall come upon the whole earth to test those who dwell on the earth. That I believe that the coming of the Lord and the rapture could be at any time. We don't know the day or the hour. But as Jesus said, at a time when we least expect, I hope that this morning that we're all ready to hear your word. So Lord, we lift up Ukraine to you and all that's going on. We just pray that you would just work in a way that you desire. And Lord, that our leaders would have boldness and be able to make wise decisions and how they can help. So, Lord, we commit these things to you in this morning. 
And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So remember, if, if you're visiting with us here at Calvary, we go through the books of the Bible chapter by chapter and verse by verse. And in chapter 1 of Daniel, as we opened it up, we know that Nebuchadnezzar was chasing the Egyptians all the way down to the Sinai. When he gets word that, that as he's defeating the Egyptians in the battle of Charshemes, that his father, who's the king of Babylon, he has died. So now Nebuchadnezzar, he finds himself as the new king of the most powerful empire in the face of the earth. So he has to get back to Babylon to secure the throne. He has to get back quickly. And on his way back, he stops in Jerusalem, and the 70 years of captivity begins. And he would, at that time, there was three different uh, times that Nebuchadnezzar came into Jerusalem. The first time, 605 B.C., recorded in chapter 1 here, that he would take some of the gold and silver out of Solomon's temple and that he would take it back to Babylon. He would also take some of the choice men of Judah back to Babylon to be trained in the affairs of the Babylonian government. They would learn of the literature and language and the religion of the Chaldeans. Four of those individuals are mentioned here in Daniel chapter 1. Daniel, of course, which this book is named after, and his three friends that we're going to continue to see them here in chapter 2 as well as chapter 3, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. They are only teenagers. The time that they're taken away, they're 14, 15, 16 years of age. And as they come there, here they are. They're presented with the king's meat and the king's wine. And they had purpose in their heart not to defile themselves with the king's meat and the king's wine. We, we talked about that, what exactly that meant specifically going through that chapter. But the important thing is, as they said, we're not going to defile ourselves. And even though they were given Babylonian names... They changed their names, but they couldn't change their hearts. And because they stood firm for the Lord, they would find favor with the Lord. And I want to remind us once again that whenever you make a decision in your life to honor God and live for him and do what is right, God will honor that and work in your life in special ways. So as we end at chapter 1, God blessed them and gave them understanding and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel, we saw, had understanding in all visions and dreams. And that's what we're going to see here in chapter 2. And we'll see that also when we get to the prophetic section of Daniel in chapter 7 through 12. Daniel is going to tell of a dream that Nebuchadnezzar had. He's going to give that interpretation of the dream. And this chapter, listen has been called the backbone of Bible prophecy. This chapter is going to help us understand the rest of the prophecies in the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel is called the forerunner to the book of Revelation. It has implications for you and for me what's going to take place in the latter days. And for us to understand end-time prophecy, we need to have a good understanding of the book of Daniel and also of this chapter here. So keep in mind that as Daniel's writing this book, he's writing this chapter, he's writing it in the 6th century B.C. He's going to tell, as I mentioned to you, those Gentile nations from the time of Daniel. He's going to prophesy through the historical timeline up to the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now, here we are 2,600 years later. 
So we can look back and we're going to see that much of this vision has come to pass, exactly as Daniel said would happen. But also there is implications of what's going to happen that is yet future. And as I think about it, Daniel here, he's going to tell Nebuchadnezzar, he says that, the dream is certain and the interpretation is sure. In other words, this is going to happen. There's no doubt about it. And we know that Isaiah tells us that the Lord declares that he knows the end from the beginning. So the Bible here, which is almost a third of it is prophecy, is the only book in the whole world that dares to prophesy given very specific details on what's going to happen as we get closer to the return of the Lord. And as we look at it, we can be certain and know for sure that these things will come to pass. Even as Jesus said that heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. We know that when John was told to write the apocalypse of Jesus Christ there in the island of Patmos in Revelation chapter 1, that it was uh, John that was told, write these things down that must shortly come to pass. Not that they might come to pass, but they will come to pass. And we can be sure, even as we saw and we have studied going through the Old Testament, there was over a hundred specific prophecies concerning Jesus' first coming in his birth, his life, his death, burial, and resurrection. And every single one of those prophecies were fulfilled to the letter, at least a hundred of them. It depends what scholar that you talk to. Some say that there's more like 300 if you take the types and what's repeated. But all of those prophecies were fulfilled. We know that there's 200, over 200 prophecies concerning Jesus' second coming. So if we have confidence that every single one of those, those prophecies were fulfilled concerning Jesus' first coming, he fulfilled every dot and tittle of it, that we can be confident that the prophecies concerning his second coming, and he promised he would come back, that it's going to be fulfilled as well. As we read it here in, in this book, it is sure and it is certain so that's why it's important to understand it, what's going on in the day in which we are living in. So let's begin to look at chapter 2, verse 1. In the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams, and his spirit was so troubled that his sleep left him. So he has dreams. Notice here in verse 1 that it's plural, right? He's having the same dream, but he either had that dream over and over again in one night, or there's more than one night that he's dreaming the same dream. And perhaps that's happened with you. If you ever had a dream that troubled you and maybe you dreamed it more than once that night uh, and you got up and you couldn't get back to sleep or maybe you dreamed it again. Um, and so that can happen with people and that's what's happening here with Nebuchadnezzar. Now those who like to study the mind uh, and those who are uh, psychologists and things like that, they will tell us that a large percentage of a person's free mental time is either reliving or rehashing the past, maybe thinking about good memories of the past or wishing things would go back to the past or the way that they were, or maybe thinking about the mistakes and the hurts of the past, or they begin to worry about the future. And I think that a lot of us, that even over the last couple of years, that we thought about the future, you know, what's going to happen with this pandemic? And now, as we're coming out of the pandemic, seemingly, and we're seeing that uh, the restrictions and mandates are starting to be dropped, all of a sudden we got this situation in Europe that's going on. And there's a lot of uncertainty that's going on around us in the world today. Amen? 
But one thing that is certain is God's word. And we know that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But with that uncertainty, we begin to wonder, what is the future? What's going to happen? What's going to happen to our nation? What's, going to, what's it going to be like for my children and my grandchildren? And, and I begin to wonder as well, the same things. I, I begin to wonder, what about the ministry? How hard and difficult is it going to be in the days ahead to continue to minister? I think about the past. I'm very thankful for what God has done in seeing people get saved, the church growing, the number of people that we're reaching. It's incredible. But then I think, Lord, what is the future? And I know that I can rest in the Lord because being confident of this very thing that he has begun a good work will bring it to completion. So as we consider what's going on here in chapter 2, he's having these dreams. It troubled him. He can't sleep. I think that Nebuchadnezzar here is concerned about the future of his kingdom. He has this dream. And we are going to see that this dream is from the Lord. Keep in mind that Nebuchadnezzar, the king here at Babylon, Babylon is the world Empire, the most powerful empire. He's the most powerful man on the face of the earth. He has absolute rule. He has all power, has all fame. He has all wealth. He has everything that the world would want or people in the world would want. Sometimes we think that those who are wealthy or have fame or seem to have it all, that they really got it made. They got it easy. They have no problems. Well, I think that most of us know that they have problems. They're just different problems. Sometimes they're bigger problems because someone's always trying to take their money or take their power away. And anyone who does not have Jesus in their lives, whether they are wealthy or whether they are poor, whether they have fame or they're not known, they will eventually be troubled in their soul and in their heart. And they will end up tossing and turning at night, wondering, is this all there is to life? Is this, you know, what the future is going to be? What's it going to hold? I'm troubled in my soul and in my heart. And I hope that we are far enough along in our Christian walk to know that we don't have to envy those who have so much or seem to have so much wealth and fame and power seemingly. Because our culture will lift those people up and say, this is who you're to envy. And that's just the way it is. But to actually understand that they need Jesus as much as anyone, whether you are wealthy and famous or whether you're poor and no one knows you. Jesus said, what good is it if you gain the whole world, but you lose your own soul? So here's Nebuchadnezzar. He has everything, absolute power, and he can't even buy a good night's sleep. We know that the Lord can speak to us in dreams. We see that with Jacob in Genesis. We read in Genesis how Jacob, he is there and he has a dream of of a ladder and angels ascending and descending. And Jacob awoke and said, surely the Lord is in this place. And he called it Bethel, which means the house of God. We know that his son Joseph there in Genesis chapter 37, that he had a dream. He had a dream of the sun and the moon and the 11 stars bowed down to him. And it represented his mom and dad and his his brothers that he would rule one day. And of course, that would come to pass as he became a prime minister of Egypt. That's a study for another time. But we know that he had that dream and his brothers were very upset at him and would sell him off to slavery 
in Egypt, but it also helps us interpret Revelation chapter 12, where we see that the woman has a child, the sun, the moon, the 12 stars that are mentioned there is mentioning Israel and how the dragon goes after the woman, goes after Israel, that we know in the middle of the tribulation period that the Antichrist will heavily persecute the Jews and they will flee to the rock city of Petra. Again, let Scripture interpret Scripture, filter everything through the Word of God, because you're going to probably hear some weird things that are going to be coming out concerning what's going on in Europe and prophetic events and things like that. It can be there. There's also some very good sources as well. But here we know that, that dreams can happen. Matter of fact, Peter, when he would stand up on the day of Pentecost, he quotes from Joel chapter 2. He tells us that it should come to pass in the last days that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. So if you fall asleep this morning here in church, you can just say, hey, Pastor Jeff, I was just dreaming dreams from the Lord. That's what I was doing. And, and by the way, if you do have a dream, um, don't ask me to interpret that dream if you think it's from the Lord, because I don't have the gift of interpretation. The Lord can speak to us in dreams, but not every dream comes from the Lord. I think it's a special time that perhaps the Lord was speaking something to you. You just kind of know in your spirit. But as we continue reading here in verse 2, then the king gave the command to call the magicians and the astrologers and sorcerers and the Chaldeans to tell the king his dreams. So they came and stood before the king. So he calls, he's so troubled, he calls for the wise men of Babylon. Now the sorcerers are mediums. They talk with the dead and they cast spells. And the magicians, we see them in the book of Genesis. Uh, they are involved in occultic practices. The astrologers, they charted the stars and then determined people's destinies, just like it's done today. The Chaldeans mentioned here were the most educated men in the empire. They were acquainted with ancient literature and writings and, and other cultures. And notice as we continue reading here that Nebuchadnezzar is going to say, hey, tell me the dream. That's going to be emphasized as we continue reading. Let's do that as we go into verse 3. And the king said to them, I have had a dream and my spirit is anxious to know the dream. Now, some commentators will say that when he says, I'm anxious to know the dream, that Nebuchadnezzar forgot the dream. And I don't think that's what's being told to us here. Um, uh, maybe some parts were a little bit cloudy, but later in the chapter, when we see that Daniel is going to tell him the dream, he acknowledges that. He's overwhelmed by that. He's amazed by that. So he wants to know what the dream is. He's anxious to know. Verse 4, the Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will give the interpretation. So just a little side note. From verse 4 here of chapter 2 through chapter 7 of Daniel, this is now written in Aramaic. The Old Testament is written in Hebrew. This is written in Aramaic. The reason is, is because this section of Daniel deals with prophecy of primary interest to the Gentile nations and, and Daniel's day in Babylon. So it's now in Aramaic. And in verse 4, as we read it there, that we see that the wise men of Babylon declare with confidence, 
that if you tell us the dream, king, then we'll give you the interpretation. But we're going to see that Nebuchadnezzar continues to be firm and wanting to know what the dream is. You tell me what the dream is. Let's continue reading again in verse 5. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, My decision is firm. If you do not make known the dream to me in its interpretation, you shall be cut in pieces and your houses shall be made an ash heap. Now, how would you like to have a boss like that? Some of you have some pretty tough bosses. But Nebuchadnezzar, in absolute rule, he says, you need to tell me the dream and, the, and then the interpretation. If you don't, I'm going to cut you up into little pieces. I'm going to put you to death. And we see how it is that they responded uh, in this. However, if you tell the dream, verse 6, first, in its interpretation, you're going to receive from me gifts, rewards, and great honor. Therefore, tell me the dream and its interpretation. If you tell me the, the dream and the interpretation, I'll honor you. You'll get gifts. You'll get an honored position. I think these guys are just wanting to keep their heads is what they're wanting to do. So they answered the king, as, as verse um, 7 tells us. They answered again and said, Let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will give his interpretation. And the king answered and said, I know for certain that you would gain time because you see that my decision is firm. If you do not make known the dream to me, there is only one decree for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the time has changed. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can give me its interpretation. And the Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who can tell the king's matter. Therefore, no king, lord, or ruler has ever asked such a thing of any magician, astrologer, or Chaldean. It is a difficult thing, verse 11 goes on to say, that the king requests, and there is no other who can tell it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. So come on, king, you need to be fair. Tell us the dream. No one has been able to tell what a person is dreaming. Now, in the book of Genesis, when Joseph stood before Pharaoh, Pharaoh told him the dream. Here Nebuchadnezzar says, I want you guys to tell me the dream and then give me the interpretation. And he is getting angry and offended because these guys are saying to him, you are unreasonable. He gets mad because they are questioning him now. And you didn't do that with Nebuchadnezzar. Hey, no one, no ruler, no king, no Lord has ever asked for such a thing. And and Nebuchadnezzar gets more angry. We're going to see that. He is furious here. And I just want to say this. That the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4 that we're to put away anger and wrath and malice. Be angry. Do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Nor give place to the devil. And if we are one that we are reacting out of anger and wrath and malice, you know what malice is? When you stew about it. You're angry and you just think about it and you stew about it and you become more angry and then wrath is like you just blow up. And the Bible says we're to put it away because if we make decisions, we react out of that anger and bitterness and wrath and malice, it will bring difficulty and hurt and big problems to not only you, but to the people that are in your life. 
and you will end up making hasty decisions and you will say things that will be very hurtful and there'll be lasting and difficult repercussions and consequences. I've had couples in my office that one will turn to their spouse and said, you said this, you know, and it hurt me. And the other one said, I said that years ago. I said that years ago. And they were still hurt by that and hanging on to that. That is why we were told we were to, to put it off. And you give it to the Lord and ask for help and his wisdom. And be kind to one another. Tender hearted. Forgiving one another even as God and Christ forgave you. And as we see here, they, they say, King, what you ask is unreasonable. We can't pull this off. So he's going to give the command to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. Let's read that in, in verses 12 and 13. For this reason, the king was angry and very furious, gave the command to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree went out, and they began killing the wise men, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Interesting here. So he's just furious. He's just going off the handle here. And he's an absolute rule. In other words... When Nebuchadnezzar gave a command or gave a new decree or a new law, as soon as those words left his mouth, that was law. There was no senate, no parliament, no advisors to, to run it through. It was absolute law. And if he changed his mind five minutes later, then that was law. He has absolute rule here. We're going to see that in the next chapter. That if you don't bow down to my image, you're going to be thrown in the burning, fiery furnace. A few minutes later, he's saying, come out. And, and as he challenged Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, if you don't worship my image and, and serve my gods, you're going to go in. And all of a sudden, as he gave the command, he's furious. Turn the oven up. Many of you are familiar with what we're going to read, that account there in chapter 3. Then he says, come out. Now I give the command that everyone shall worship the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So he has absolute rule that is here. And I think that Nebuchadnezzar perhaps was questioning their ability to serve him to interpret dreams. This is the second year of his reign. So a lot of these, these guys probably served his father. He probably saw how they weren't very wise, that perhaps they were fraudulent and powerless and deceiving, and they're a bunch of phonies. He doubted their honesty and ability and sincerity. He doubted their loyalty to him. And maybe the king wants to get rid of these guys here in favor of the younger men whom he had chosen and interviewed. It is interest me that Daniel and his three friends, the other three, are not here he didn't call for them. And we know that he had interviewed them. We know that as we look at this, that Daniel's friends aren't there. But he makes the decree that all of them are going to be killed. He's so mad. And so Daniel and his friends are included in this group. Now, we don't know if the executions are taking place right there or they're going to be all rounded up for a public execution. But let's continue to read in verse 14. And then the council and wisdom, Daniel answered Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, and had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. And he answered and said to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree from the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the decision known to Daniel. 
And Daniel went in and asked the king to give him time that he might tell the king the interpretation. So Daniel hears the commotion. He asks the guard what's going on, and he's told, and Daniel knows that his life as well as his friends are in jeopardy. And you can sense Daniel's boldness, his faith. He doesn't panic. He doesn't fold here. He doesn't try to make a run for it. He, he says, I want to see the king. And he goes before the king and he says, give me time. I'll give you the dream and the interpretation of the dream. So oftentimes when we find ourselves in a difficult circumstance or situation, we become very anxious. And we become anxious and it overwhelms us. I think about the words of Paul given to us in the scriptures. As in the book of Philippians, Paul is there under house arrest. He's chained to a Roman guard. He doesn't know if he's going to be executed or he's going to be released. But he says to us that be anxious for nothing, but through prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God that passes understanding will guard your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. Listen, let your requests be known to God to give it with thanksgiving. And as we do that, the promise of scriptures give us a peace that passes understanding. We have the spirit of adoption as we can cry out, Abba, Father, and we are invited to come to him. And we can call out to him and we can cry out to him. And he says, as we do that, we don't have to be anxious for anything. So what does Daniel do? As he gives his requests, well, I think most of you know, but let's read it in verse 17. Daniel went to his house and made the decision known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, that they might seek mercies from the God of heaven concerning this secret, so that Daniel and his companions might not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon here. So Daniel and his friends, they get together and they pray. Do you know that's why it's important for us to be here? for you to have that time of fellowship, to, to, to get to know some you know, people in the fellowship so that when you are going through difficulties or things weigh heavy on your heart, that you have people that you can pray with, that you can come here and pray. After the service, we're going to have Pastor Luke and, and, and available to pray with you. I'll be available to pray with you, but we want to pray with you. And here is Daniel who gathers you know, these these three friends that we know that are mentioned here. And he says, let's have a prayer meeting. So Nebuchadnezzar, he took his problem to bed. Daniel took his problem to God. So I want to ask you a question. Where do you take your problems? Where do you take your problems? Do you take your problems to bed? I know I've done that. Where I've tossed and turned and we toss and turn and we wonder and we stress and plotting and planning and how can I figure this out and I'm trying to come up with my own understanding do we take our problems to the world to figure out to get the world's advice go to the wise men of the world do we go to the liquor cabinet do we go to the marijuana store I'll tell you this those things will fail you just like these guys are failing Nebuchadnezzar that is the wise men of Babylon. And one thing that I hope that we understand this morning is that we can take our problems to God. Listen, if you can't sleep because of problems, don't count sheep. Go to the shepherd, the good shepherd. Talk it over with the Lord, and you will find a peace in your heart as well. 
And notice that in verse 18, that they might seek mercies from God or compassions. Contrast that with Nebuchadnezzar, who will not be merciful. Psalm 103, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger. Nebuchadnezzar here is quick to anger. Psalm 86, the psalmist writes, be merciful to me, for I will cry to you all day long. And not only all day long, but we can cry to him at night, even as Daniel and his friends are doing that. And we read in verse 19 as they prayed that the secret was revealed to Daniel in the night vision. So Daniel blessed the God of heaven. And Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. And he changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and raises up kings. Will you underline that? Will you remember that the day in which we're in? He removes kings. The Lord is the one that raises up kings for his purposes. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and secret things. He knows what is in the darkness and light dwells with him. I thank you and praise you, verse 23, O God of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and might and, and have now made known to me what we asked of you, for you have made known to us the king's demand. God reveals the dream to Daniel. I like what Daniel does. Does he immediately run out and begin to save people? No, he, he's going to do that, but he stops first. And he begins to bless the Lord and give thanks to the Lord. I know for a lot of us, for me, that in our hurriedness, we got things to do. We got cares of life to take care of. We got to get to work. We got kids that we need to get to school, whatever ministry to do. We can run out and I need to do this, I need to do that. But the Lord has shown me something over the years. That I have learned that before I run out, I really need to stop and first give thanks and look up to Him. That we need to start our day in doing that. Saying, Lord, thank you for this day. Lord, guide me and direct me. Help me. In the Gospels, of, we read in Luke's Gospel that Ten lepers were healed. Only one came back to give thanks to the Lord. And the Lord said, where are the other nine? And I have learned, and I'm still learning it, to really stop and give thanks for my day, for the opportunity I have to be a light and to give truth. And beware of the voice that says, hey, you need to get going. You need to run. We're burning daylight. You don't have time to give thanks and to worship. The voice of Judas, remember in Matthew's gospel, is Mary took that alabaster box and broke it and anointed Jesus for his burial. She's worshiping him, and Judas said, that's a waste. Why did you do that? And Jesus said, back off. Second Samuel chapter 6, David bringing the Ark of the Covenant from the house of Obed-Edom to Jerusalem, which they believe was about an eight-mile journey. And they stopped every six paces and sacrificed oxen and sheep. Now, that would take some time, but David didn't care because before he had done it his way and putting it on a cart and having it, you know, uh, taken with, with, you know, cows pulling the Ark of the Covenant, he wanted to be efficient, but it ended up being disastrous. Listen, I just want to say this. In the economy of God and in the economy of the kingdom, it's not always about hustle and bustle and productivity. Yeah, there are things to do. We become busy. But the primary thing for you and for me is to seek God and give honor to him. And here is Daniel. The clock is ticking. 
But he stops and he worships and he gives thanks. Secondly, look at the prayer of Daniel in verses 20 through 23. Remember that Daniel's young. He's only maybe 17, 18 at this time. And, and the depth of wisdom and spirituality is great. He understands that God is in control. Listen, what we see going on around us, God is in control. He sets up kings. He takes kings away. And everything is culminating to where he's going to usher in his kingdom. But in him is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And he has given me this wisdom. He honors God. He's a man of humility. And that's why Daniel was used so much in the kingdom. It's so important, listen, that you're here, that you grow in God's word, in his wisdom. Because we need it today. And there are a lot of people that are going to be confused around this and they're going to be wondering and you're going to have answers. You're the one that's going to be used. I believe the one that God's going to use in the day in which we're in is the one that knows God's word and is be able to give truth to others. So here we see that, that Daniel, he's given thanks for the Lord for giving him this dream. And let's finish up this morning. Therefore, Daniel went to Arioch in verse 24, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise man of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise man of Babylon. Take me before the king, and I will tell the king the interpretation. And Arioch quickly brought Daniel before the king and said thus to him, I have found a man of the captives of Judah who will make known the king the interpretation. And the king answered and said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, that you should, are you able to make known to me the dream which I have seen in its interpretation? And Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, The secret which the king has demanded, the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, the soothsayers cannot declare to the king. And verse 28, But there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets, and he has made known King Nebuchadnezzar. Listen what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head upon your bed were these, and we'll look at that next week, but a couple things here. That verse 24 gives us indication the decree to destroy the wise man had not been executed, you know, uh, had not been done yet. And, and so the wise men were in the process of being rounded up. And Arioch brings Daniel to Nebuchadnezzar, says that I found one at the captives of Judah. He's going to give you the dream, the interpretation of the dream. Daniel immediately declares that what has been declared to him, no wise man of Babylon could dis discover that they cannot meet your request. Only the God of heaven can. So I want to close with this. Is that what we tell people? I hope we do. Because there's a lot of voices that are out there. <clears throat> but you and I, we can give people the truth of God's word. We can give people the plan of what's going to take place ahead. And specifically, what God desires for you to come to salvation. To belong to a kingdom that's going to last forever. And we can give people the truth. Because again, his wisdom, his word, it is absolute truth. And it is certain, and it is sure. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you so much for this time in your word and so much more that we'll cover in this chapter that's very important, the implication here for us in these last days. But, Lord, for today, I pray that we would understand this, that we don't have to be anxious, 
but through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, we can come to you. And you said that you'll give us a peace that passes understanding. And it may not just be looking at the things around us in this world that are so uncertain and scary, but Lord, maybe what's going on in our own personal lives. And I pray that we would take everything to you and trust you and that we would trust your word given to us. Grow in your wisdom. And the Lord, as we would grow in faith and boldness for you in these days that we're in that are very perilous, very difficult. So Lord, we thank you for today. And I ask that as we leave this place that you give us strength and wisdom, provision, comfort. I also want to pray if there's anyone listening or here in this sanctuary that you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. He is your salvation. Listen, we are rushing towards eternity. And tomorrow's a promise to you anyhow, to none of us. And today's the day of salvation is what the scripture says. If you've never made a commitment to Christ to repent, turn direction, turn to him, call out on the name of the Lord. And whoever calls on the name of the Lord, whoever believes in the Lord Jesus, confesses with their mouth that God raised them from the dead, shall be saved. He died on that cross for you to make atonement for your sins, and he rose again, and he's alive. But you come, and you give your life to him. You humble yourself and come in childlike faith recognizing your need for him you can do that right now you can pray Jesus I come and I ask that you forgive me of my sins I am a sinner but you are the son of God I believe that with all of my heart that died for my sins and he rose again and I ask that you be my personal Lord and Savior and I thank you for bringing me to a kingdom that will last forever and Lord I want to know you grow in your wisdom and walk with you and I thank you for this new beginning in Jesus name Lord for all of us this week that you would guide us and strengthen us help us to be a voice of truth to others that Lord that we would give them wisdom and understanding it only comes from you and it's in Jesus name that we pray Amen. Amen would you please